Live from Gloucester, this is The Saturday Breakfast Show with Darren Lester, and you are listening live. Good morning, everybody. It is a pleasure to be back with you. I am live from Gloucester today, where I will be talking about midwinter festivals with Head of German Health, Nadia stevens McEdge. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. As always, I would like to thank you for joining me for breakfast on this Saturday, the 3rd of December, 2022. It is a pleasure to be back with you after taking last week off. Um, I've decided I don't like taking weeks off of the show. It leaves me really out of sorts for the whole rest of the week. I feel really discombobulated um, for not having sat and, and chatted with you all for my hour and a half on a Monday morning. Uh, Monday morning? No, Saturday morning. There we go. See, I've not had coffee this morning, and this is the problem. Um, I've been on tea um, at the advice of my doctor to try and cut down my caffeine, which I have not been doing very well at, quite frankly. Um, but I thought I would try today, and very clearly that is a mistake. But never mind. We are being festive today, I have decided, because it's December. Now, all week on Twitter, I have been keeping tabs of the conversation because we have um, entered the season where teachers start asking who carries on with normal lessons, who does curriculum stuff but makes it festive, who just abandons the curriculum and watches films and all that jazz. And that's a conversation that nobody is ever going to win, I think. Um, But since we are in that season, um, I thought I would get festive because I am absolutely a pro-Christmas person. Now, I'm going to be honest. I am a teach the curriculum but make it festive person. Um, as I've mentioned on the show a couple of times before, I do enjoy a calendar curriculum. Um, I do enjoy taking what happens in life in the year outside of school and bringing it into the classroom, particularly for something like Christmas, which is... In, in England, at least, one of the very few festivals that we actually celebrate. Um, I discussed this back in my show on the 5th of November, I think, during my, my intro, where I talked about the fact that in England, um, I think in the UK in general, but in England specifically, we don't have that many festivals. Uh, we just don't. It's They're all crammed into this time of year because we kind of go Halloween, bonfire night, Christmas, New Year, then there's a break until March or April, depending on when Easter is, and then it's Easter, and then we have no big festival again until Halloween. So I do think because we have so few festivals, it's important to make the most of the ones that we do have and really celebrate those that we do. So that's my plan for today. I'm going to take you through some of the different winter festivals that are celebrated at this time of year. I'm going to talk to you about how I use them in the classroom um, in a secular way. And then I will be joined when she's finished 
teaching this lesson, I will be joined by Nadia Stevens-Makesh, who is head of German at Wycliffe College in Gloucestershire. Uh, Nadia was on my show in September, I do believe. Um, she was my very first guest of the academic year, and we were, we were celebrating National German Language Day. Uh, she's coming in to talk to us today about how winter festivals are celebrated in Austria. Um, and I can't wait to, to get into that discussion with her and with you. Because I am on location in school today, I have disabled the calling in function, so I will not be taking calls in today. However, please do feel free to text in. Um, you can text in using the Podbean app if you are listening to me live right now. You can tweet me at Mr. D. Lester, that's all one word, M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R. -E I am keeping track of the tweets this morning as I always do. Um, and of course, if you are listening back, if you are playing back at any point in the future, please do tweet me because as I like to say, everything I talk about on the show is something that interests me, um, either in teaching or out in the world. And so just because I'm having this conversation today doesn't mean that today is the only time that I want to talk about this stuff. So please do let me know what uh, what traditions you have, how you celebrate the midwinter, um, because we all do it very, very differently. Now, I will point out um, that, or I will draw attention to the fact that I, I, I um, emphasised that my lessons on winter festivals are kept secular. Now, in the UK, we don't have separation of church and state, um, and so there is theoretically no problem with discussing religion in the classroom. Um, and in fact, in, in many cases, that's necessary. So we have religious education or religious studies, different, um, different schools call it different things, which is a compulsory subject on the curriculum. Uh, 1945 Education Act made it compulsory. So it is necessary to learn about Christianity and the other religions that are prominent in the UK. At A-level for modern foreign languages, we discuss the fact that France is a culturally Catholic country <clears throat> that has introduced laïcité, has, has introduced secularism as one of its, its overriding concepts. And we discuss that, we, we talk about how important that is. So it is, um, in my subject at least, it is necessary to discuss religion and it is important to discuss religion. Um, but for me, it's never a case of conversion, because that's not my place as a teacher, that's not any teacher's place, to try and, and convert, to try and push their beliefs on somebody else. There are two reasons that I'm bringing this up. Um, the first is because of a retweet that we received, um, that TTR received about 10 minutes ago um, on the advert for my show, which called us the indoctrination station. Um, which I found quite interesting, because as those of you listening who know me in person, I hope will attest to, and those of you who are fans of the show should know by now, indoctrination is not on my list of priorities whatsoever. Um, I am very much a live and let live type of person. And I understand that the, the, um, the tweet was not aimed at me, it was Theoretically, it was aimed at the station um, because that was what they were retweeting. But I understand that actually it was aimed at the education system. Because having looked at this person's Twitter profile, 
I noticed that it is full of um, retweets about government bodies. And so this person very clearly does not think that government bodies should be involved in the running of people's lives. And, you know, that is a, um, that is a philosophy that that person is entitled to. Um, but as teachers, we do not attempt to indoctrinate. We educate and we should educate. That is our um, goal. That is our job. Our job is not to indoctrinate. And, and I can't think of a single teacher who believes that their job is to indoctrinate, is to foist their beliefs on somebody else of anything. I will tell my students what I believe if they ask me. I will tell my students that I believe that language is very important, although I think that they should be able to figure that out on their own, given that I am a languages teacher. Um, but beliefs are, in my opinion, very personal and should not be influenced by anybody else. Uh, they should be influenced only by your own research, your own actions, your own gut feelings, what, whatever it is inside you that compels you to believe things. Um, and I, I make it my job to be impartial. Um, I personally have blocked that person. I don't know who they are. Uh, and again, I understand that they weren't necessarily attacking me personally, but they were attacking the idea of my profession. And I didn't like that. And I'm very much a, a happy to block kind of person. Uh, the reason for that, quite honestly, is because the people who are being negative are entitled to their opinion. Um, I can't say that they're not, because that would be indoctrination. That would be pushing me pushing my belief on another person. And people are entitled to their own opinions in the same way that I'm entitled to mine. But that doesn't mean that I have to hear those opinions. And so I am I'm very happy to to block people, not with whom I disagree, because I think it's important to listen to dissenting viewpoints so that you're not creating an echo chamber for yourself, which is very easy to do on social media. Um, but just because I don't want unnecessary, um, unconstructive negativity in my sphere, that's not good for, for my mental health, that's not good for my well-being, and so I, I personally do not um, uh, do not entertain those people. I know lots of people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't block, just, just live and let live, and that's fine, that's fine, and I will if the criticism is constructive, um, but I don't like negativity for the sake of negativity. Um, Tim has texted in, good morning, Tim. Always lovely to hear from you. He said, education and indoctrination couldn't be further apart, in my opinion. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Uh, and then he follows up with, one of the roles of educators is to make us think indoctrination doesn't. Yes, and that's the important thing, is that we should present viewpoints and we should present differing alternate viewpoints in order to get our students to think about things. Um, I did this in my year 12 speaking lesson this week, which I'll tell you about in a second, because I want to do the second part of why I've addressed um, indoctrination. Um, so yeah, I'll tell you about that in a second. But 
it is important to get people thinking because unless you interrogate your own opinions, you can't understand why you think them. And you can't think about whether you need to change your mind. Sometimes you can interrogate your own viewpoint and go, yes, I'm right. And sometimes you interrogate your own viewpoint and go, oh, no, okay, I was wrong. I'm going to think something different now. And both of those are okay. So the other reason that uh, that I wanted to to bring this up today was because, and if you follow me on Twitter, um, I did tweet about this, a an adult in my youngest nephew's school told his year four class, so those kids are um, eight and nine, um, that there was no such thing as Father Christmas, no such thing as the Easter Bunny, no such thing as the Tooth Fairy, and that all of those things were parents. Um, and my, my sister posted about it in the family chat because she was really, really angry. Um, and she asked whether we felt she was, um, whether she was right to be angry about that. And kind of as a teacher, I thought about it because, you know, I've taught, I've been a year four class teacher. And I understand, like I said on, on Twitter, I understand that that is very much a seesaw ear group where you've got some children who don't believe. And some children have been told that um, Father Christmas, Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, Jack Frost, whatever, is a fictional character. But others still do believe. And those conversations do happen. Um, but I think that as teachers, it's our job to keep up the ruse, personally. Because... There are some things that need to be done at home. We've had this discussion earlier in the week where people were talking about um, what we wish we'd learned at school. And it was the usual, you know, taxes and how to change a plug and, and all of that stuff. And um, one, one Twitter user put it quite succinctly by saying, well, what are parents teaching? And, and it's true. There are things that should be taught at home. There are things that I, as a French teacher, don't need to teach kids. And real is one of those things. As exclusively a primary teacher, um, I always affirmed my belief in Father Christmas. Um, whenever any of the kids asked me if I believed, it was always a very straightaway, yes, I do. Um, because saying that I didn't would start questioning and then um, that could cause upset. Whereas saying that I did believe in him was just like, the, the follow-up question would have been, oh, well, why do you believe? And I turn around and say, well, you know, when I was little, I got presents and they came from Father Christmas. And so the children then who didn't believe could just go through the whole thought process of, oh, nobody told Mr. Lester that he's not real. And the children who did believe could carry on that belief because I still believed. I do not think it was my right, and I do not think it is any adult's right, other than the parents, to tell children that Father Christmas, or the, the three wise men, the three kings, or Babushka, or whoever in the household's country brings the gifts is not real. Because that's very much a family thing. Now my sister, to her credit, handled it beautifully, um, and she's told my nephew, because he does still believe, and he still wants to believe. Um, so she's explained to him that some people say he's not real, and Father Christmas 
doesn't bring presence to those people. Um, and, and my nephew's kind of gone along with that. But it was, it was angering. It was angering because we as educators do not have the right to take those sorts of things away from children, to take those sorts of things away from parents. And that is where indoctrination kind of comes into play where we are forcing our viewpoints onto young people. Because particularly with young children, the things that we as their teachers believe, they are more ready to believe because we're their teachers, because they see us as these, these beacons of knowledge. And so they are quite ready to take us and our viewpoints and our opinions on board. And that's why we need to be very careful. That's why we need to be very careful indeed. Uh, this week, I affirmed my belief in Father Christmas to year eight, because I was talking about Krampus with them in German on Thursday. Um, and I made it very clear to them that I believed in Father Christmas. Um, I didn't necessarily believe that Krampus was accompanying him around, but I did believe that he brought presents. Um, and I affirmed my belief in Father Christmas to year 12, when I was talking to them about, um, about Black Peter because we've been discussing how um, language, linguistic colonialism can be the same as belief colonialism. And so countries that have the same language heritages can also have the same traditions. So we were talking about, um, in Belgium, a French speaking country, we would talk about the Black Peters and we discussed whether or not we thought the concept of Black Peter is racist. Because of course that's something that comes up in the Netherlands and in Belgium time and time again at this time of year. And the students found that very uncomfortable. They found the whole having to think about racism and having to pass a judgment on somebody else's tradition to be very uncomfortable. Um, and I told them that, that was part of the lesson, that part of, the, part of what we do as linguists is develop our understanding of ourselves and of other people. Because as, as I say all the time, you cannot separate a language from a culture. And that's not to say that cultures are necessarily wrong. Cultures are not bad because of the traditions that they have, but maybe traditions themselves should be updated, should be thought about. It's a really difficult one. It really is. And I was very honest with my year 12s and I said, look, I don't know what the answer is. And as an English person, I don't feel like it's my right to pass judgment on the traditions, the cultures of other people. Um, but I do feel that I can say I personally do not approve of um, blackface. I do not approve of the racial caricature that is prevalent in some depictions of Black Peter, not all of them these days, but some of them. Um, and that it does make me uncomfortable. And I can express that it makes me uncomfortable because that's my feeling. And I can do that without saying, oh, that means that Christmas in these countries is bad. Because that's two very different things. And I think quite often when we have these discussions about indoctrination, we ignore the, the nuance between this is my personal feeling and this is what I'm telling you to believe. This is what I think and this is what is right and wrong. Or at least that's my opinion on the whole thing. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond.
Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead, who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, service manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system, but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby, but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Hannah McCulloch, chair of the LGBT Society on the university's Colrain campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth. 
and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language, Jeremy Miles, said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, for teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available and we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Reading up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday, and next week will still be Black Friday, or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop? is actually a deal? Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive. If you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. Buyer, beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Do people actually shop on their phone? That's incredible to me. <clears throat> um, I don't know. There's just something. I'm looking at my phone right now and I'm thinking, 
it would be wrong to actually do my shopping on it. I will browse, I will scroll Amazon, but I don't think I could ever buy anything using it. I don't know. I think it seems too small. The screen seems too small. Completely irrational, but that is just how, how my brain is working. Um, I want to start this morning, I want to start my bit on, on actual traditions by um, sharing a local tradition of mine. And that is the Gloucester Wassel. So wassailing is a tradition from Gloucestershire in the West Country, um, and it's also found in Kent. And it's defined quite nicely by Jeff and Fran Dawn in A Kent Christmas as um, having a libation of cider poured over cider apple trees and a song or rhyme sung or recited to them. Um, Edward Hasted, in his History of Kent, wrote, There is an odd custom fused in these parts about Keston and Wickham. A number of young men with a most hideous noise run into the orchards and, encircling each tree, pronounce these words. Stand fast root, bear well top, give us a ewling sop, every twig, apple big, every bough, apple enough. I presume that in Edward Hasted's times that would have rhymed. Um, I don't quite know when it was, so I can't figure out which accent I should be using to, to say it in. Um, so, rustling is the idea of giving thanks to the apple trees. Uh, around here, we have a lot of apple and pear trees. Cider and perry is, is kind of what we do in these parts. And there is, in fact, a big push right now to um, revitalise a lot of the older orchards. Uh, the husband of one of my colleagues and a former teacher himself is part of that drive um, to kind of reintroduce uh, a lot of the, the older types of, of apples. And so the tradition is that you would take your cup of wassail, which is a kind of like mulled wine. You would pour a libation to the tree and you would sing to the tree as a way of giving thanks. Um, and we have our own wassail. In Gloucestershire we have our own song which I am not going to sing to you because I actually don't know the tune to be honest. I'm beginning to wonder why this isn't something I learned in primary school because it seems to me like this would be a good kind of key stage two Christmassy thing to do to learn a local tradition a local song. But anyway our wassail goes wassail wassail all over the town our toast is white and our ale is brown our bowl is made of the white maple tree. With the wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. So here is the cherry, and to his right cheek, pray God send out master a good piece of beef. And a good piece of beef that we all may see, with the wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. And here is the Dobbin, and to his right eye, pray God send our master a good Christmas pie. And a good Christmas pie that we may all see, with the wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. So here is to broad May, and to her broad horn, May God send our master a good crop of corn, and a good crop of corn that we may all see, with the wassailing bowl we'll drink to thee. And here is to fill pale, and to her left ear, pray God send our master a happy new year, and a happy new year as e'er he did see, with the wassailing bowl we'll drink to thee. And here is to Collie, and to her long tail, pray God send our master he may never fail. A bowl of strong beer, I pray you draw near, and our jolly wassail, it's then you shall hear. And here's to the maid in the lily-white smock, who tripped to the door and slipped back the lock, who tripped to the door and pulled back the pin, 
for to let these jolly wasslers in. Wassle, wassle all over the town. Our toast is white and our ale is brown. Our bowl is made of the white maple tree. With the wassling bowl we'll drink to thee. Drink to thee, drink to thee. With the wassling bowl we'll drink to thee. Wassling is the precursor of trick-or-treating um, in these parts. The idea would be that each household would make a bowl of wassail. And again, wassail is uh, either wine or cider with all sorts of mold spices in. So cinnamon and cardamom and cloves. And you can probably, to be fair, just chuck in whatever you want. Um, but there are all sorts of recipes that are easily found online if you'd like to make your own. And people would come, they would knock at the door and they would sing in exchange for a cup of wassail. Uh, and that was known as going a wassailing. And so it was kind of a combination, I suppose, of carol singing and trick-or-treating because they would come and they would sing, but they would expect something in return. Um, I'm not quite sure where that tradition comes from, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just an excuse to make sure that all households had a bowl of wassail, um, or if people were just using it as an excuse to make some wassail, that would also be good. But um, it's one that is tradition that I quite like because it reminds us of what is important at this time of year. It reminds us of the, the frivolity of being happy, of being jolly, uh, and of making the most of our natural surroundings. So, you know, again, the reason that it's cider and the reason that we wassail to, to the, the apple trees is because we have them in abundance around here and we're kind of paying respects to that. And I'm going to be honest, it is that sort of thing that I quite like about this time of year. Um, my guest, Nadia, who has just come in, uh, once described my religion quite aptly, uh, and it's always stuck with me, she probably doesn't even remember saying it, but she once told me that my, my belief system is Christian adjacent. <laughs> which um, which I quite like, because I do think that a lot of the old traditions, a lot of the, the, the pagan things around this time of year are important. Um, and I like, to, I like to remember them, I like to mark them. And wassailing is one of those things. You know, the idea of going and, and pouring out a libation to the whites that may or may not exist in the land. It doesn't actually matter if they exist, to be honest. But the idea of going out and... Um, pouring libation, giving a drink to the tree, to thank the tree for everything that it's done for us in producing apples, in producing um, pears. I think that's really important. I really do. Good morning, Nadia. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, all right, thank you. Good, good. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's okay. It was fun last time. <laughs> it was, it was. I was so glad that you, that you said that you, you were coming back on. Um, so we are very close to St. Nicholas. Yeah. So St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, this is where things always get a little bit confusing because different places do this at slightly different times over the 48 hour period. So St. Nicholas, for those of you who don't know, um, was a bishop of Turkey, St. Nicholas of Myrna. He is most famous for punching a heretic in the face at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, that's one of my favorite stories about him. And he became known for giving gifts to children. Um, there are two reasons for that. There is one story that says he was traveling through a town and he came to a butcher's shop. 
and he noticed that there was some very odd meat pickled in, in three barrels. And he asked the butcher what the meat was, and the butcher told him that it was children. And so St. Nicholas performed a miracle, and he pieced the children back together and resurrected them. And so he became one of the patron saints of children, uh, along with St. Christopher. The other story goes that he was wandering through a town. I quite liked, like, in the 1400s, people just walked around places and got into adventures. Um, I think that sounds like a good life, personally. Uh, and he came across a man who was about to sell his daughters into prostitution because he couldn't afford their dowry. And they, the daughters have left their, in some versions of the story, their stockings, in some versions of the story, their shoes, at the fire. And um, St. Nicholas took either some gold balls or some gold coins and threw them down the chimney and then they landed in the stockings or the shoes. And that's where the, the tradition of leaving presents in stockings in, in England and shoes across everywhere else <laughs> comes from. Um, and that's also why he's the patron saint of pawnbrokers with their three balls as their symbol. Um, and his, his feast day is December the 6th. But because in pagan Europe, the day started at sundown and ended at sundown the next day, um, we have St. Nicholas traditions spread over the night of the 5th and then the day of the 6th. And in Austria, I believe the night of the 5th is actually quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's actually um, quite interesting what you say about um, St. Nicholas as well, the Heilige Nikolaus, as yeah. we say, because... Um, for some reason, I've never heard either of these stories. Oh, really? Okay. Which is kind of probably because kids are really into um, Nikolaus. Yeah. And they sound not very PG, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and um, the other thing, I'm going to talk about the 5th of December in a bit, but the other thing that's really bizarre is in Austria, it's neither a stocking nor a shoe. Oh, okay. It's a plate. <laughs> <laughs> so in our song, right. we're saying, and then I put the plate outside. Oh, amazing. And so I think it, maybe it's just one of these uh, things where people have thought, oh, you know, leaving shoes out is a bit unhygienic. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging our yeah. socks, uh, stockings uh, up in the in the house on the, on the fire is maybe a bit dangerous. <laughs> so it's like, let's do a plate. <laughs> I love it. Austrian practicality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think in Germany it is actually shoes. I think it is in Germany, And uh, yes. you're quite a fan of Dutch. Culture, yeah, so in, so in the Netherlands it's the, yeah, cogs they leave out. Yeah. yeah. So in Austria, it's a plate. <laughs> and, um, and indeed, the 5th of December is really scary. So it's actually one of those days where I'm glad that I live in England nowadays. I've lived in England for 10 years, so I've been spared from this tradition. Um, uh, but we, we have, um, it comes to, to Judgment Day, kind of for, for children, yeah. if they've been good or bad. But they don't find it out on one day. They already find out the day before if okay. they've been bad. So the 5th of December is the children that haven't been good all year, um, the campus is coming to see them. And the campus kind of in the in the Austrian visions of the campus looks kind of like a really hairy monster with a distorted face. And it comes with a rute, mm -hmm. so like a, what do you call a rat or something? Like that? Uh, a, a flail. A flail, comes with a flail and kind of a chain either around his, um, like his chest or, or around his waist. And it's quite a scary looking creature. And um, so you have you have that on the 5th, or if you've been good, on the 6th of December you wake up and Nicholas has left you 
um, some some gold coins, chocolate coins, or some some nice things on on the plate, which actually gets a bit commercialized these days in yeah. Austria because you get like bigger and bigger things. <laughs> when I was a kid, that's why it was maybe an orange or yeah. and a chocolate coin. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays it's almost like a mini Christmas present or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, or like a whole chocolate Nicolau Laos. Yes. So they are really popular. Yeah. Like, um, a bit like an Easter rabbit. Yeah. Like a chocolate Nicolaus. Yeah. And um, yeah. But um, in, in the Austrian tradition of the campus, it could be quite a nice thing, and I think many tourists really enjoy this. Yes. So I do recommend if you're into gory things and if Halloween is your thing, because we traditionally we didn't used to celebrate Halloween. Yeah. So when I was a kid, it wasn't very common to do Halloween. Okay. So that was the fifth of December was your time for gore. Yeah. And um, so you you could enjoy things like Krampusläufe, which are like. Um, big staged events yeah. in, in the city centers or in the sometimes also in smaller villages where people meet and loads of them are being dressed up as campus yeah. and uh, they just march through through a certain route and um, and spectators stand on the sides and they, they bang drums and, and um, some of them, if you, if you Google campus lauf, yeah. um, some of them are massive events yeah. where they even have what do you call them when they're on the cars? Like um, floats. When they have floats. Like a bit like, you know, in, in Germany, they have the big Faschingsparaden. Yes. Um, we do have mini ones of those in Austria when it's like Fasching. And, yeah. Um, but that that um, that is a big event with the Campus Lauf. Yeah. Um, I, I, I showed my year eights a video of Campus Lauf mm. on Thursday in our lesson. Um, if those of you who are language teachers or world culture teachers who maybe don't know very much about campus i do recommend actually showing it to um early teens because they seem to really get into it particularly british ones who don't know the tradition and and my year eights were, were obsessed with it but do be careful because there are some quite frightening things that come up when you google um so i found quite a nice one that's it's a video that's about eight minutes long there's no um no speech in it so if you're not a german teacher and you just want to share it then that's fine um and it's quite nice and it shows all the different um different costumes and the different takes on it and in some of the research that i was doing for that lesson when i taught it for the first time a couple of years ago i found that some people make campus life their main hobby and they will spend thousands of euros on their costume kind of buying in sometimes real fur or you know very expensive real looking artificial um, and they will spend a whole year to make a brand new compass it certainly looks like it if yeah you look at them um some some they have like real horns yes and, yeah it's, it's very very actually very impressive yeah but i i'm not sure how i feel about it i can't remember ever attending a campus love again after maybe the age of five okay because something really traumatic happened to me so i was actually caught by two campuses oh okay wow and i actually supposedly was a naughty person at the age <laughs> of five which i had no knowledge of <laughs> but um, i came out of kindergarten and two campuses um approached me quite quickly um from either side yeah and they put me in a wooden box no yeah and they hit that box of chains Ooh. and it was so scary and it was really traumatic and, and I, I couldn't quite figure out why the next day Nikolaus came as well. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just really haunting. But I later on figured that I have a sister that's eight and a half years older, mm -hmm. and she used to have to pick me up from kindergarten, um. and she took me to pick me up from kindergarten, and she seemed oddly like uninvolved. She didn't like seem to help me no. the campuses. Well, <laughs> you were <laughs> so, so, so a few years later, pieced it together, and I think it must have been some of her mates. Okay. That did this to me. Yes. <laughs> that sounds was, like a thing an older sister would yeah. do, to be fair. <laughs> but it was very unpleasant. <laughs> and it left me traumatized. Yes. I'm not surprised. And it's actually honest. one of the traditions. My kids are now um, five and a half and three. Mm. And it's one of the traditions I actually haven't been cashing in on. No. So I haven't actually introduced them to campus yet. Because okay. I think it, it is actually quite traumatizing with I, little children. Yeah, I think so. So I, you're right, the, the teenage years, yeah. they probably will be fascinated. Yeah. But I think in Austria, if you are five or that sort of age, there is no getting away from it. No. So people will be introduced to yes. that. Yes, yeah. So, and it's coming from an, an outsider's perspective. Um, it does seem very traumatizing. And my my class on, on Thursday when I did this lesson, they, they kept asking me very personal questions about what why is it legal to do this? You yeah. know, is that not kidnapping children? Is yeah. that not abuse? In the, without giving too much away from my year nines, but in the year nine Christmas party, we tend to do campus as well. Yeah. I'm not sure because this year it's a bit later in the year, so yes. I might do it different yeah. one but we tend to do it this time of the year and then we do show campus yeah and we do kind of get them to get the plates out or the shoes we nice. they get them to leave the shoes yeah. out actually and um, maybe they get a little treat uh if they've been good <laughs> but if they've been bad i, I dress up as a campus <laughs> no, I, don't, I, don't. Your homework. <laughs> I don't actually but it's an idea it is yeah we must have some budget somewhere <laughs> but um but anyway, so we do show it, and the kids are the same. They like, and, and they they love my story yeah. about my personal experience, and they're like, "How is that possible? And how did nobody do anything about it?" And to be honest, I mean, I'm like, like in my late thirties now, so I think it's probably not as easy to do that to children nowadays, no. even in Austria. Yeah. <laughs> I've not heard these stories. No. You can't see it on the news. Another <laughs> child being abducted yes. by a campus or something. So yeah. I think hopefully the times have actually yes. changed and it is being challenged when that happens. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it, it does mean that campus is actually real. You know, he may not be a scary half goat, half person monster thing, yeah. but there is something that will, if you've been bad, that will put you in a box and, and beat it. I didn't. I didn't actually have the luxury to. Um, I always. Um, I love. I love your radio show, and you come so well prepared, and you have so much knowledge that you. <laughs> oh, you're part too kind. People, and I, I find it so fascinating. So I kind of always feel like, oh, I wish I had the time to prepare for this oh, and no. to actually put some real facts <laughs> on, on paper and, and present them. But, yeah, I, I haven't had the chance. To no, no, no. Because I always mean to look into exactly actually where the campus ends and the Knecht Ruprecht starts. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Because there's also a Knecht Ruprecht, yes. I believe, in the north of Germany. Yeah, and um, Alsace in France as well do okay. Knecht Ruprecht. And have you, do you know anything about Knecht Ruprecht? So I, I brought up Knecht Ruprecht in my French lesson this week. I was I was explaining to, to the listeners at the top of the show. Um, I, I'm with Year 12 this week. We were talking about, um, starting with Black Peter and whether or not we feel that the idea of the Black Peter is racist. And then we move on to Knecht Ruprecht. And um, I know a little bit, not too much, um, Alsace is actually not somewhere I think I've even been to. 
Um, so I don't know too much about it. But the book, um, The Old Magic of Christmas by Linda Reddish, has got a little section on him. Um, and it says, uh, Knesh Ruprecht dresses like a Trappist monk. Though he shrinks from the spotlight, Knesh Ruprecht reached the pinnacle of fame in 1862 by way of a poem, uh, by way of a North German poet novelist, uh, Theodor Storm. Since then, he has been recited before many a German Tannenbaum on Christmas Eve. So Germans will stand around the Christmas tree and recite the Knesh Ruprecht poem. Um, read the opening nine lines von Trauss von Fahls kommt ich her from out of the forest I now appear to any North German native and he or she will be unable to resist rattling off the rest of the poem. Rather than a devil who must be restrained, which kind of explains the chains on Krampus, doesn't it? If it's this idea of restraining yeah. your evil uh, as opposed to St. Nicholas who is rewarding the good. Um, rather than a devil who must be restrained, uh, Storm's Knesset is the dedicated helper of the Christkind. Uh, in fact, it is the Christ child who checks that his right-hand man has his sack and his rod before they set off on their business. So Knecht Ruprecht, um, Knecht is a false cognate. It looks like the English word knight, but it's not. Um, it means a uh, farmhand. It's a farmhand or a servant or a slave. Um, and so he dresses in very traditional Trappist monk kind of brown Hessian robes. He's depicted with either a sack or a barrel of coal and he also carries a flail or a, a collection of, of birch twigs that he would use to beat naughty children. So he's not as scary looking because he just looks like a man in robes. Um, he, he looks like a poor Father Christmas. Yeah, I remember now. And I think it was probably when I was a kid a bit more of a tradition as well to, to combine him with Chris Kidd. Okay. Yeah. And when you say that the, the, the poem, which actually I didn't know, I mean, Theodore Storm is actually really famous. Yes. And I didn't know that this, this poem, that I was going to recite the rest oh. of it. Von draus, vom Walde komme ich her. Ich muss euch sagen, es weihnachtet sehr. All überall auf den Tannenspitzen sah ich goldene Lichtlein sitzen. Und droben aus dem Himmelstor sah mit golden Augen das Christkind hervor. Oh. So it goes on and on. But we did actually learn this as a oh, child, okay. but we didn't really see the connection because I, I didn't, we, we didn't connect this poem, even though it's called Knetrobrecht, to Knetrobrecht somehow. Oh. <laughs> I wonder if at school they took that element out oh, to maybe. make it more magical and, like, yes. and less daunting. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, every, I think everybody must know this poem yes. and be able to recite it. In um, Austria and yeah. Germany, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It is. it is. And I love how, how poetry and stories do this. So in, in English-speaking culture, we know the names of Father Christmases, Reindeer, Dasha, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, um, because they come from um, Clemency Moore's poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And before that, there was no number of reindeer, and they didn't have names. But the poem gave them, and now that's become part of the, the Father Christmas, the Santa Claus mythology um across across english-speaking countries so it is interesting how the the traditions can change based on the the literature and even the you know children's stories that kind of come out as a result of these things i'm actually um it's it's so interesting that you bring up poems you never quite know where this um teacher's talk is going no. to take you because it's so it's so interesting how it bounces off yes ideas. yeah i love that um so you just reminded me that one of my favorite authors from austria Austria, mm. 
um, has just brought out a book that I'm really curious to get my hands on. Okay. And it's called Die Weihnachtsgeschichte in Reimen. Oh. And so he's doing the whole Christmas story in rhymes. Nice. And he, um, last week he just introduced it in the Stephansdom. Okay. In a really beautiful cathedral in, in um, Vienna. Yeah. On the main square. Yeah. And, um, and so it's really, I really want to, to get it when I, this year, I'm lucky enough to get to Austria oh, on the Christmas amazing. holidays. Sadly, a bit after Christmas, oh, okay. but it will still be quite nice and Christmassy because we extend our Christmas period to the 6th of January, yes. which we can talk about in a moment. Yeah. But, um, but so it will be still, there will be still Christmas markets probably amazing. around. There'll be still trees up and it will still have some of the magic. Yes. Um, but we're going on the, I think we're actually going on New Year's Eve. To, oh, to nice. Austria, which is an amazing time as well yes. at, that, at that point yes so that would be quite nice and um so yeah so it's, it's thomas brezener okay and he brought out the weihnachtsgeschichte in, in reimen nice. and last year and it was hugely successful which is kind of controversial but also quite intriguing and i haven't got my hands around it yet either he got out the bible in rhymes oh yeah so the bible in reimen wow okay and so i'm really i'm really curious because i wonder if as a child, I would have found it easier to, to find my way into it. Yes. Um, because I quite liked, as a, as a child, it's maybe odd, but I quite liked Bible studies. Mm. But I found some of the language so stilted and yes. difficult to yes. get my head around. <laughs> and so I wonder, I don't know if, if somebody particularly very, very Christian would find it a distorted word if it was in yeah. rhymes. And if they wouldn't like it, so I wouldn't want to offend anybody no. by saying I'm interested in it. Yes. But I still quite like to, to get my hands on it and read it because I think it could be really good and magical for children. Absolutely. To have that. And yeah. the poems, I think they could maybe be able to remember it. Yes. So it's a book that I'll definitely get there, my hands on when I'm in Austria. <laughs> oh, that sounds really cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, there may well be people who are offended by that sort of thing, but all versions of, of the Bible that we have that are not written in Hebrew and Greek are translations. Yeah. And, you know, translations will always be distorted just by the nature of translating something. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the next essay that I have to write for my master's in translation uh, in my classical languages module is on the specific translations of the word that the English Bible calls sin. Uh, because Greek didn't have a word for sin. So there's this word amatia. And we have to look at all the different ways that it's been translated and whether it does actually mean sin. Um, and so I think, I, I actually think that you're right because children do respond well to rhyme and to mm -hmm. rhythm and it does hook them. I think that would be an interesting way to, yeah. to get children into it. Yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah. And, um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's a really positive person in general. Yeah. Like, um, the, the author, and okay. I, really, I really like him. And he, he brought out lots of children's books when I was a, a child. And, and actually one that I really wish I had it's just a book that he brought out as well now on uh, it's an advent calendar where each day like you it's like it's a mystery like okay. a, a kind of a crime but for children where this really famous um detective bike that, <laughs> that has been in austrian children's life since the 90s okay like tom turbo right and um where this bike has got an adventure and has to solve a case but every day, it looks like in the book, there is a bit about the page is still sealed. Oh. And so you can kind of open it 
and read the next chapter. I love it. And it sounds so good. I really want to have it. So I think I'm going to get it for next year for my children. That, yes. It sounds really good. Yes. Especially I'll... because we, we're going to talk about how I'm going to try to blend yes. giving them part of my culture, like making them feel like they're partly Austrian yeah. while they're actually living in England and having their main <laughs> kind of life all based around the English culture yeah. and like, you know, see their friends living the English culture. So how I'm kind of trying to... <laughs> get them a bit to live the Austrian yeah. ways as well. And um, and so that would be really good. Yeah. And so one of the things we, we tend to do is we watch Tom Turbo nice. on YouTube on Sunday mornings um, because it's just a nice thing to, to have a bike roll around Austrian um, yeah. kind of places because it's all based in Vienna. Oh, okay. And, um, and because there's a, there's a TV program around it as yeah. well as books. And uh, it's something that we really like. And, and it's one of these old school engaging tv programs that that it wasn't very common in the 90s that that you could that you could actually have a quiz in a tv show and it leads to something yeah so i i think that was really revolutionary where um you would would maybe i think it's half an hour program and every maybe eight minutes or something like like five times in the in the show they would stop it and and ask your question Okay. And ask you as detectives yes. to help the bike solve the case. Okay. And then it will give you a letter. And then when you get to the end of the show, you have to read the letters backwards and they make up the um, code word. Amazing. So they make up the word that solves the case. And and then you could actually write a letter to the show. Yeah. Um, and you could get um, a, a de- detective ausweis. Um, like a, and, uh, oh, like a kind of like a license, yes. a detective, detective license. license, I suppose, yeah, and um, <laughs> and maybe like a, a, a play a game or something, yeah, it was that's, really nice, that's so cool, and so it was quite revolutionary in the yeah. 90s to do that, and so that's one of the things I do with the children. I know it's not to do so much with Christmas, but it's something that, it's that I, I do throughout the year, yes. to keep the Austrian kind of um, yeah, interest sparked, yeah. yeah. and um, the. It's interesting because, unfortunately, I think we talked about this before, or maybe we will one day, <laughs> that um, I've not managed to really get them bilingual, Yeah. the children. Yeah. Um, so actually, some of the Tom Turbo, they don't understand. Okay. But it doesn't seem to bother them. Oh, so interesting. So it's, it's engaging enough to not bother yeah. them and to not understand every word. That's very good. It's that, that's really good. Yeah, that's actually quite impressive. there's not very many that. programs that ke- can keep them no. captivated without them understanding every single yes. word. Yeah. No, there aren't. There are because when they when children get over a certain age, um, usually when they get over two, uh, they they don't care about like the colours and the the shapes anymore. It is the story yeah. and the understanding that engages them. Yeah. So that is actually very so impressive. It's quite good. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And it is, you know, that tradition isn't Christmas and that's fine, but it is those sorts of childhood traditions and childhood memories that I think as adults we try and capture at this time of year yeah. when we're trying to feel Christmassy, yeah. we're trying to feel festive. Yeah. So that will be something that they can they can draw on. Them. And uh, you brought up the Kiss Kind. Yeah. So we, it's, it's kind of interesting because when the kids were little, I uh, had this thing where the Kiss Kind would bring them a little thing. Uh, on Christmas Eve. Okay. And and then and Santa will bring them the main present. Yeah. But I've kind of gone away from it a bit. Okay. Because I kind of not sure how much 
you should get as a child. You know how many presents you should yeah. get as a, yeah. as a child. So I'm not quite sure what to do about the Christkind tradition. So I feel like sometimes we've actually managed pre-lockdown mm. to be in Austria on Christmas Eve. And then we've had it there okay. and left that the Christkind comes there. Yes. And then Father Christmas comes here. Yes. Because I find it so confusing for children if the Christkind comes all the way yes. to to England just for a few children. Yes. Uh, but he comes to <laughs> Austria for all of them. Yes. So I so it's something that I have to actually so we talk about Christkind coming to their friends in Austria. Okay. And coming to their cousins in Austria. And um, if we go there, Christkind will leave something for them. Yeah. So when we get there on, on uh, New Year's Eve, hopefully, if they've been good, yes. Christmas, <laughs> uh, Christkind will have left something for them there. Okay. But um, but it doesn't come to England. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of happy with that because the first year it was a bit of a kind of a, a juggle and a kind of like a mind-boggling thing. Absolutely. How I blend this. Yes. Yeah. That must be really hard. I I, I like that idea though. Um, when again, when I was exclusively a primary teacher and I was teaching um, Christmas traditions around the world as part of my my, my cross school um, role, I, I kind of did something similar where I explained, you know, we have Father Christmas in England and he comes and gives the presents, but in France they have Père Noël and Père Fouetta, and in the Netherlands they have Sinterklaas, and he actually goes round on the sixth of December, and you know that's how Father Christmas can do all the children in one night because he doesn't have to. Mm. Um, and actually, I think that that's a good way to help keep the, the mythology alive, because when they do get to um, about eight or nine and they start questioning, um, they can reason, oh, okay, there are actually lots of different people. Mm. Um, so I quite like that. One, uh, of the, one of the things that I find a tiny bit difficult for that is because you get this really actually lovely thing online where you can kind of see where Father yes. Christmas goes. Yeah. Can't remember what you call it. Uh, Norad. Norad. Yeah. Which I kind of I really love the I idea. Do as well. Yeah. And uh, so that makes it a tiny bit difficult True. because you have to tune in when he's about to <laughs> <laughs> Which is like when when you're putting the kids to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that fair. makes it a tiny bit confusing. Yeah, no, that's true. But I guess you can you can probably say that it's it's expats living yes. in different oh, places. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> but that will come back to my Christmas culture come to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a moment where I'm glad that I that I don't have children and have no intention of having children because I could just make up whatever traditions <laughs> I want that makes sense to me. <laughs> How, um, how does Père Noël um, compare to Father Christmas? Are they different? No, no, not anymore. Um, there, there used to be a bit of a difference, um, particularly when it was more Saint-Nicolas-based. Um, but now France is kind of, in a way that I don't think is very French, has really embraced the American Christmas culture. Um, and, and so Père Noël is just a Father Christmas analogue these days. Mm. And how is like um, Father Christmas different to Santa Claus. Now that's interesting. Um, in theory, there isn't a difference. They are the same. And it used to be, when I was younger, it used to be that he was called Santa Claus in America and he was called Father Christmas in England. And it was just one thing and two names in the same way that we knew that the paths were sidewalks and elevators were lifts. Um, but these days I'm noticing, again, with the influence of American culture, more and more young people are just calling him Santa. Mm -hmm. uh, so my my younger nephew that I was talking about at the beginning of the show, he's in year four and he calls him Santa. And sometimes when I say Father Christmas, he, it takes him a second to realise who I'm talking about. Okay. 
So yeah, they are the same. I mean, Santa Claus is just a, um, it's a, a bastardization, which is not me swearing, that's the actual linguistic term, just so as we're clear, <laughs> <laughs> of, of Sinterklaas. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's from the, the Dutch immigrants who settled in, in the US. So it's St. Nicholas. So it's St. Nicholas, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then as they started to say that with what became the American accent, it went from Sinterklaas to Santa Claus. And so you, you, you might well notice because you're so knowledgeable. So when did it become a different time? So when did it become from St. Nicholas, mm-hmm. um, on the, on the, I assume on, on the 6th of December, yeah. to actually the 25th? Um, I think, and I don't know, uh, so if we've got any religious studies specialists in the audience, I would be interested for you to fact check me on this, but I think it probably came with the Protestantization of European uh, Christianity in general. Um, because I've, I've noticed that the culturally Catholic countries tend not to do the 6th. Mm. Uh, so they will do Christmas and then they will do the 6th of January. They'll do Epiphany. Mm. Um, and then the culturally Protestant um, countries will do the 6th. And really, it should be the other way around. You would think that the Catholic countries would keep the Saints' Day. And the Protestant countries wouldn't. But I, I, I feel like as um, as there was this move and as we shortened the 12 days of Christmas and we shortened Christmas tide in general, um, it just all got wrapped up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from a from an English perspective, it kind of makes sense because it does get rid of, like you were talking about, the who gives what. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because in Austria, I mean, it's Catholic, mainly it's the yes. Catholic countries. Yes. Um, we have all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we use the 6th of December for yes. Nikolaus. Yes. And then we have the 24th of December, we have the Christkind. Yes. And on the 6th of December, children are getting a visit again by the Holy Freakings, <laughs> the Heiligen Drei Könige. <laughs> so Amazing. we just have a month yes. of celebration. Yes, just everything. <laughs> Everybody come and visit me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's interesting. It is, it is. Um, I quite like the, the 6th of January, the Three Kings. Um, Tim has texted in and asked if we can have a shout out for La Bafana. So here we have our justice for Bafana. Uh, Bafana is the Italian version, um, and she is an analogue of, of the Russian babushka. Mm-hmm. So the story goes that um, the three kings were trying to get to baby Jesus. They ended up in either Russia or Italy, depending on where you're hearing the story. And Babushka or Bafana um, met them and they invited her to go with them to meet the baby Jesus, but she was too busy cleaning her house. And so she said no. And they rode off and she regretted it. And um, ever since then, she has been going around either on foot or on her broom because she was cleaning so she's kind of like a witch these days giving presents to children just in case they are the baby jesus so what sort of time of the year so that's on that's on three kings that's on the 6th of january yeah they don't have the three kings no oh interesting i suppose i suppose for the russians that's very close to orthodox christmas Mm um because that's around the 6th of january so they probably just merged all of that together and it stops um idol worship of the three kings mm. um i don't quite know why the italians took on the Bafana. that's interesting i mean some of the things 
to be honest, I can't, I kind of a distant memory. So I, I kind of, I can't remember whether we get anything on Heilige Drei Könige, the Holy Three Kings Day, because it's traditionally it's just Weihrauch and Möhre and Weihrauch, Möhre uh, and gold, uh, gold, gold. gold. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, uh, what's that, Weihrauch? Uh, frankincense. Frankincense, Möhre. Möhre. Uh, and gold, and gold yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know, I, I kind of want to say, but people who still live in Austria, <laughs> maybe correct me on that, maybe you get like a chocolate coin, but I don't okay. know for sure anymore what you get. I just know that it's one of those times, for sure, when the Holy Three Kings, um, so so each each church um, has, has um, from the kind of youth section or, or the, the kind of, the, the, the children that they go to church, yeah. um, where where some of them are, are dressing up as holy free kings, okay, and um, they they come to your house with like I think an adult accompanying them, yeah, and um, they they bless your house. Oh wow! So so they come and um, they knock on your door and they and they ask um, whether you want your house blessed, and then they write at the top of your door. Caspar, uh, Melchior, and Balthasar. Yeah. And um, they write C plus uh, M plus B. Okay. And uh, on the left before the C, they write like the, the start of the year, so like 20. And oh, on the wow. end, they write 22. And between the letters, they write like stars. So so it's like uh, across the door, yeah. you have for the whole year supposed to have a okay. blessing in chalk. That's lovely. And, um, and, that, and that's what they do. And then in in return, they ask for hopefully a donation towards the church or, okay. or some. I think it tends to be the church, but sometimes it's also a chosen charity. Yeah, yeah. But but that's what they what they okay. ask, and they sing um, carols to you. Oh wow! So I I kind of think it's it's they they say, and they say. A bit like a poem, but I, I have to look it up again. That is a bit like the Theodore Storm <laughs> poem. Oh, interesting. Um, so where they come from and yeah. what they bring, but um, but it kind of seems to ring a bell that it starts a bit similar. <laughs> where they come from and um, yes. yeah, yeah. And so and they, they say a poem and then they, they I think they sing. Okay. And they're called Sternsinger. Oh. So the star singers, singers. Because they actually follow the star. Yeah. They, they follow the star yes. in the Christmas story, yes. don't they? To, to Jesus. To Jesus yeah. And so they carry around the star. And that's why they're called the Stern singer. Okay. And that's actually quite a nice tradition. Yeah. As a child, I was really looking forward to them knocking on my door and singing a song to yes. us and blessing our house. Yes. Yeah. Well, see, I quite like that because when you came in, I was talking about wassailing um, and the idea that. that the wassailers would come to your house and they would sing to you in exchange for you giving them a cup of wassail. Um, and I quite like the idea that, that the Sternsinger come and they sing to you in exchange for them being allowed to bless your house. <laughs> so you kind of get all of the good stuff and maybe you make a donation. That's really, that's really charitable. Um, but what, what I find quite interesting is, is the mix of biblical stuff there. So we've got, um, we've got the three kings, we've got the, the, inscription above the doorway like when Moses um, uh, had the 12 plagues and the final plague was that the eldest child of, of all the Egyptians would be killed and so he put um, uh, goat's blood above the, the doors of, um, of the Hebrews 
um, and kind of as you were telling me the story, that reminded me of that, and and just kind of the that that synchronization I think I find really interesting of like I said before the pagan and the magic with the Christian, and kind of how we've how Europe has kept those old traditions and and Christianized them. I'd be interested actually to know if there's other countries that still have a star signal. Um, or Sternsee, yeah. because I've actually not heard of that one so much. No, no, I, I wonder have... if it's in Catholic countries. I don't, I, I don't know. I know that in Spain, because one of my Elo French students grew up in Ibiza, so she was telling me they do have the three holy kings, uh, but they bring presents. So that's the the Spanish version of of Saint Nicholas. Um, she didn't mention anything about singing; it was just the presents um, and the coal. So according to Spanish tradition, um, if you have been good, you get presents. If you've been bad, then you are given coal, uh, which is something that we kind of imported into England. But um, the student was telling me that in Spanish sweet shops, you can go in and you can buy sweet coal to eat. Oh. And, and it, you can buy coal in all sorts of different colours as well. So it's actually kind become quite... It does, yeah. Yeah, it's become quite, uh, you know, you want the coal now because it's good. <laughs> Whereas I don't think anybody will want to be beaten by Krampus. I'm pretty sure, like, Krampus is supposed to bring coal. Okay, yeah. I think That yeah. would make sense, because Knecht Ruprecht does. I mean, I only remember the beating up. <laughs> 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 but I think he's supposed to bring coal. Yeah, which, and this didn't occur to me, so I was talking this week, but actually, from, as a parent, like, let's say, 500 years ago, that would have been really sneaky, because you would have said to your child, you would have spent your child's Christmas money on this lump of coal, said to them, well, you've been really bad, so you've got this coal, but that's very useful for me, so I'm <laughs> going to take it and put it on the fire. So a child just gets punished in all sorts of ways. <laughs> even the coal is taken yes, off. Yes. You yeah. can't even keep that. No. <laughs> but it is, it is kind of traumatising, isn't it, that, that we, use, um, we use Christmas as an excuse to keep track of children and to regulate their behaviour. You know, we I was always told when I was little that, that the Robins that are around are Father Christmas watching me to make sure that I'm being good and they fly back and they report to him. Mm, that's cute. Yeah, and my, my grandparents used to have Robin ornaments in their tree. Um, and, and I was told, a bit, I suppose a bit like Elf on the Shelf now, I was told that they also were watching when I was there. And did that um, help? your liking of them or did it actually put you off them a bit? Um, that's an interesting question because I, I actually love robins and I do get very excited when I start seeing them so I think I do still have that association and then I'm just like oh there's a robin it's Christmas which is a bit weird in June. <laughs> it is weird though isn't it I mean there is there is the, the robin tradition like seems to be something in England because there's a lot of ornaments of robins. Yes. So so where does that come I, from? I think it's because they're winter birds tradition. I mean, I have started seeing them a lot more in summer now. But traditionally, again, when I was younger, we never saw them until sort of October time. Mm. So I think it is just because they come out in winter. And um, I imagine there is some kind of symbolism with the red breast. There will be a story about mm. how that's Christ's blood or mm. um, a piercing or something. Um, talking Christmas trees, one thing that feels a bit odd to me yeah. is that we're all putting up our trees now. Yes. This year especially, even before it was December, yes. they popped up everywhere. They I did. Feel like it starts earlier this year yeah. than I think any other time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed that during lockdown people were doing it, especially in the first lockdown, and they were like, oh, it's been a hard year, we need some celebration. I thought, yeah, that's great. 
And then it happened again last year. And I thought, okay, we, we've had a lockdown, so that's fine. But then I noticed as well, like... Even earlier this yes, year. Yes, yeah. Mm. Which was kind of cute, but I kind of like... I also kind of feel like I'd rather have it on the 1st of December. Yes. Because there's something special about December then. Yes. And it doesn't start too early. And Christmas songs maybe on, in December when they start... But it's still a really weird thing for me to see them pop up everywhere now. Yeah. Because in Austria, you don't put the Christmas tree up until the 24th of December. Wow. They might do them in the shops. Yes. But at home, in your own house, you wouldn't put them up. Okay. And the tradition actually, in, in my family at least, is also that you don't put the tree up. The Christkind puts it up. Oh, wow. And so in, in my family, what happens is when you go out... Um, for, well, like Christian people who probably go to church. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, sometimes we went to church. And um, and so you would go out um, and one of the parents would feel kind of sick or they still <laughs> have to prepare dinner or something. Uh, There's a reason why they can't come along okay. anyway. Um, but but the, the story that is told to children is that you go out and, and you leave the window open <laughs> for the Christ child to come in. Yes. And the Christ child um, decorates your tree for you. <laughs> <laughs> so baby Jesus, you've not even been born yet and we're already putting him to work. Gonna die for our sins and decorate my tree. Well I actually I actually always wonder about this because that to use the word that you used earlier, like the bastardization of probably the, the, the Christ child. Yeah. Like I never saw the Christ child as being baby Jesus. Oh, I was going to ask you. That's interesting. But I think in theory, probably that's what it should be. Yeah. But because it's always depicted as a little angel that is had like a, like a blonde, like a okay. kind of, of like almost golden hair. Yeah. And like um, wings, and it can fly, and yeah. it's 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 got like a almost like a more female kind okay. of. Um, facial structure to it. Yeah. I never really assumed it was baby Jesus. Yes, yeah. Okay. I don't know if other people assume it's baby Jesus, but it seems to be not that connected. Okay. At least in, amongst my friends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Really interesting <laughs> that, that, to know, yeah, I, I would as well, because that, that was a question I was going to ask you, because I've always wondered whether it was supposed to be, because in all the depictions I've seen, it never, never has looked... Yeah. So I, I never I never connected the two. No. But it's called Christ Child. Yeah. <laughs> so it, <laughs> but oh. uh, but yeah, so it, it's interesting. So yeah. for me, when I was a kid, yeah. it almost seemed like some somebody that, that Jesus sent out. Yes. <laughs> so like Christ's child rather than he himself. Yes. yes. And um, and so it was more like a Christmas angel yeah. that comes and yeah. oh, see, that's nice. That's in nice. my in my kind of you know, as, as, as a child in my imagination. Yeah. And so it would fly in the okay. window. You would leave a bit of like, nowadays I leave soya milk out the window <laughs> and, uh, and like cookies. Yeah. And, and and then it would decorate the tree for you and it would leave the presents. Okay. And when you go home or come home, then the Becherung would have happened. Ah, uh, okay. So you would have had the Becherung. Yeah. Um, which um, I guess is the gift giving. The gift giving, or yeah. The gift giving. And uh, it's just a really magical word in, in German because yeah. it it has some sort of surprise element. Okay. Like, you know, Bescherung, it means like, oh, something has happened. Yes. It's kind of like happening yes. or something. Yes, yes. So, um, 
so when you get back that that has happened yeah and 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 you you spot the presents and, and the christmas tree all sparkles and this is like gorgeous looking and um and then and then you actually annoyingly have to have dinner <laughs> <laughs> before you can open the presents brilliant they never really thought that through no because <laughs> <laughs> i i like the in england you just like it's it's um uh, how do you, do you call it? Like in the morning, you get up and it's like savage. Like yeah. Sa- savage? No, yeah. yeah. Savage. yeah. Like everybody opens the presents. Yes. Yeah, like, Father Christmas is been. You yeah. Don't worry about breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> we like later. We we'll eat like brunch later. Exactly. Or whatever. I quite like that. Yes. To be honest, yeah. it's like yeah. you don't have to wait. No. The anticipation will be um, immediately gratified. Yes. Or I don't know. It's it, there's something good about this. Yeah. Whereas in, in Austria, it tends to be like. Wow, presents! Let's have dinner. <laughs> yes, and you have to wait for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is frustrating. That is frustrating. I suppose in England, because the presents, depending on how your family does it. So, in my family, Father Christmas filled our stocking, and then our presents came from our parents. So, so our stocking oh, was good. always like. Um, notebooks and pens and, and food and, and little things uh-huh. and our big presents came uh, came from our parents okay. i think because they wanted the credit yeah um, and, and so that meant that the presents always went under the tree on maybe december the 20th and so we could see what the present you know we knew the presents were there and we had that anticipation and then that could be gratified straight away on christmas morning <laughs> i can't imagine my children not like opening it's them horrible secretly. it's <laughs> horrible <laughs> Well, I, I also think, like, you know how you say that the parents want the, um, uh, the credit? The credit, yeah. Um, I kind of feel like in Austria, a lot of the parents want the pretty tree. <laughs> 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 My sister's very particular about her oh, tree. Oh, okay. It has okay. to be ever so. <laughs> and a lot of the people are like Yes, that. oh, absolutely. And it's actually something that I'm glad, in a way, that we are in England. I'm very glad because I love um, decorating the tree with the children. Yes. I think it's a really nice tradition. Yeah. yeah. That I missed out on <laughs> as a child. Yeah, no, I do. I, and again, I remember being a child and we used to do it. My mum used to work Sunday afternoons. Um, and so the first Sunday in December, we would, my dad would get the tree down from the loft and he and me and my brother and my sister, we would all decorate the tree in that two hour window while mum was at work. Oh, and nice. then, so when she came home, it was done. And, and it was, it was a really special time for us because it was just like, Christmas is starting And she was like, damn, that's messy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I lived I, in Austria. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit weird because my mum is very house proud, so I don't quite know how we got away with it. I reckon that they waited until we went to bed and then redid it. We just never noticed. Um, yeah, that actually reminded me, and we haven't got very much time, no, but one tradition that I actually really liked in Austria, and I tried to somehow keep alive i haven't managed this yet because it came upon me so quickly the first of advent yes it was just like it was in november this year yes it was (laughs) and so i haven't actually done it yet no hopefully this sunday i'll I'll catch up on it advent camps yes so an advent brief yeah i love this tradition that we have in austria where each sunday like the four sundays before christmas we light the candle um around it's usually around the dinner table and um, we we say thanks and um, yeah it's so just a really like besinnlich yes how do you say like besinnlich it's, it's like um, um hmm, I want to say focusing but like yeah kind of like 
it's just a like a beautiful feeling. Yes, it in, is. In your heart, heartwarming. Yeah, it, I think that's the closest. It, it's isn't kind it? of yeah. it's a and reflective. Yes. So like heartwarming and reflective yes. time. It's, yeah. Um, to reflect back on the year. Nice. And yeah, I love um Advent yeah. cards. Yeah, that's really and, important. Um, one of my German friends um tends to help me like make one. Oh wow. Um yeah. And then it's like made with real twigs. Yeah. And, oh, that's awesome. And it smells quite nice. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really like that tradition. Yeah. And I, I really ought to do the, the Zweite Advent tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it does, I think, because Christmas, I think, is on a Sunday this year. So the first Sunday of Advent was the last one in November. And it just, it appeared to me as well. Because I've never done um, an, an Advent candle, but I always intend to. And then suddenly it's Advent and I'm like, oh. How fast can Amazon ship me one? I haven't opened my advent calendar yet either oh. today. I no, I haven't opened mine today either, yes. <laughs> my mum sent the children um, a really fancy chocolate one oh, from Austria. Oh, nice. Like, really, really nice. And I think that's actually something that maybe has come about more in England. Yeah. But advent calendar are a big thing in Austria. Oh, okay. So, um, you don't just have chocolate ones. Yeah. I think I told you maybe before, you have beer advent yes. calendars. We have a different beer each time, uh, each day. Um, or you have like my mum, and I think this is something in England now, but it wasn't when I moved here first, a tea advent yes. calendar. Yeah, a tea are, advent calendar. Now, yeah. They're around now, but like my mum sent me one this year yeah. again because she kind of doesn't know that you can get no. them here now. No. Um, but it didn't use to. No, not at all. And uh, there's all sorts of different calendars as a child. I always wanted the commercialized ones where you could have like a Playmobil yes. adventure or something like that, where you would get a different like thing for Christmas yes. every time. But I never got one. No, no they're so expensive because I do that. I look at like the Lego ones and the, I quite like the Funko Pop ones. And I think I'm not spending fifty pounds on that thing. But there, there is so many different ones, and yeah, I haven't done that yet today, so I have something to look forward yes. to later. Yeah, that's what I think. I always I like to do my first thing in the morning. Uh, but I did, I forgot yesterday. Um, I forgot yesterday as well. That's <laughs> with us. I know it's bad. We have to get it's into bad. the Christmas we spirit. We do. We do. Hopefully, that's what uh, that's what today is will do for us. Um, so yeah, but it's quite nice to have it at the end of the day. It's like oh, I've made it for another school day. Now I can have my chocolates. <laughs> um, so we don't. We only have five minutes. Maybe this could be a whole show. I would be interested to do this. But you live in a mixed nationality household, so you are Austrian. Your husband is British, um, and of course, you you've said that it's difficult to raise children bilingually. But you are trying to make sure that they have both cultures. How are you finding that? Um, quite a challenge. Yeah, I I would say um, because because everywhere around them is is English tradition. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 um, not always easy. But um, but at the same time, really rewarding. Yeah. So I, I find it really really beautiful when they do show an interest. And like yesterday in the car, for instance, my my son they they picked me up for a little break from work, and um, he was telling me all the things that he remembers in, oh, in nice. German from Austria. Amazing. And um, and it's just random things actually. He said like you know. A bat is a fledermouse, <laughs> and, um, and so he does remember some yeah, words. Yeah, and um, and he would argue that he remember like understands a lot of the German. Yes, <laughs> I'm not so sure. Um, but yeah, so so it's really rewarding as well because it does it is it is quite beautiful to talk to them about how the traditions are different from from ours, like yeah. and how the grandparents do celebrate things differently, and I think it's kind of 
it's not just maybe opening their ideas to the Austrian traditions, but it's opening their minds to differences in general. Yeah. And I think that's quite a good thing to learn early on. Yes. And and learn early on from your own experience. Because I think when I was a kid, we learned a lot about different traditions and different countries, but it was never really first-hand experienced. No. No. And I think it's quite good to experience it first-hand. Yes. And it's not even just it's not even just things like um, the Christmas traditions. There's even things about how open some people are about certain things and what, what things are being talked about yes. openly, <clears throat> like money or yeah. or you know or other things or like how openly you you deal with certain like I want to say like not at that age for sexuality yes. or some, something like this. Yes. So it's it's quite interesting to to see this first hand and and to maybe sometimes have like a situation where you you find it harder to deal with as a child. Yeah. But to get over that and to see that despite the differences, um, there's still like love and like yeah. I don't know like yeah. yeah you can still overcome certain things that maybe you wouldn't do it's like my, my son would say oh why does Oma do this like that yeah or why does somebody do this like that and it's really good uh, conversation often absolutely absolutely I agree I agree to kind of come back to what I was saying at the beginning um, you know as teachers it's not our job to indoctrinate it's our job to educate but part of educating is showing the kids, whether they're in our classroom or in our homes, that there is a huge world out there filled with lots of different people and lots of ways of doing things. And some of them you will like and some of them you won't like. And you can take in the things that you do like and make them yours. So, you know, I've, over the past couple of years, um, I've introduced um, Sinterklaas's shoes into my house. So I buy my parents chocolate coins and put them in their shoes wow, on, the, nice. on, on the morning of the 6th because it's, it's something that's good to do. And then anything that you don't want to do, you don't need an opinion on, you just say, okay, that's not for me, and you can move on. I think that's cool. Thank you so much for that's joining me right. this morning. I love it when you come on, it's so, <laughs> so good. I think I would be really interested to talk to you more about your children and how you're managing that, so maybe we'll do that in the new year. But thank you, thank you so much. That's okay, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you to the audience, as always, I love spending my Saturday mornings with you. I will be ne back next Saturday. Um, I am also next Saturday talking at the um, MFL Icons Teach Meet, so please do join me there where I will be talking about why we should be doing the lesser taught languages at Key Stage 2 to help our um, our transition into Key Stage 3. But I do hope you have a great weekend. I hope that, uh, that St Nicholas brings you all something nice on Tuesday. I hope that there will be no crampus for you on, uh, on Monday night, and I will see you all next Saturday. Thank you very much.